Well, it's good morning from here in London, and it's a very much a good afternoon uh, from Busan in Korea. Uh, I am absolutely delighted to welcome all of you to the 30th Global Financial Centers Index launch here on the 24th of September. It really is one of the amazing things about uh, pandemics and lockdown, but we are at least able to produce a number of really fascinating combinations internationally in ways that well, I guess we could have, but we certainly couldn't have afforded pre the pandemic. Now, you'll know me, I'm Professor Michael Minelli. I'm the executive chairman of Zen Group and creator of the Global Financial Centers Index uh, back uh, some, some uh, quite serious 17 years ago. And I'm delighted to welcome you today to today's program. As we're here with our colleagues and friends in uh, Busan, we're going to be talking about a number of subjects today. Um, personally, one of the amazing things I've seen over the last 30 years has been the fantastic rise of Korea, and in particular, the rise of Busan, which I was lucky enough to visit many, many years ago when it was a fishing village. And I can assure you that today, and we've got some very interesting results, <coughs> it is far from a small fishing village, although it still retains a lovely charm amongst its people, its landscape, and its culture. Uh, after I'm out of the way, we're going to hear a little bit more because I think this is a fantastic opportunity to hear about Busan. And we are delighted uh, to have Dr. Hinam Choi, who is the ambassador for financial cooperation with the Republic of Korea, uh, doing this today with us. Then we'll move into the meat of the subject. And my dear colleague, Mike Wardle, will be presenting the Global Financial Index 30 results, our half yearly results over 15 years of publication, but over some 17 years of index production. I might make a few observations towards the end, but we have uh, sufficient time for questions, comments, and answers. And whilst Dr. Hinam Choi is unable to stay with us for the entirety of this, uh, Marcus Kwan and his colleagues are here to answer questions about Busan. So it's a full program. Uh, please use the GoToWebinar uh, facility to feed questions in to Mike and me that we can introduce into the conversation. Yes, there is a recording. And as we speak, the results of the press releases will be posted for you to uh, take away. And in fact, I can say with some confidence that uh, the index publication uh, press has already begun uh, in City AM on page three. So with no further ado, uh, Dr. Choi, uh, may I say very much uh, that the floor is yours. Uh, thank you, Professor Michael. Uh, thank you for your kind introduction and inviting me to kick off the launch of GFCI 30. I'd like to start by congratulating ZN on 15 years of producing the Global Financial Centers Index. Twice a year for 15 years. I think it's a great job. You have evaluated major finance centers on their future competitiveness. The index is a great way for cities to gauge and compare their progress and a valuable reference for policymakers and investors. Thank you to ZN for your research and congratulations again. As a Korea's ambassador for financial cooperation, my job is to support Korea's growth as a final, global financial hub. My focus is on our two major cities, Seoul and Busan. You are probably familiar with Seoul, the capital of Korea and our largest commercial center. So today, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about the co-host of today's event, Busan, and the many investment opportunities it offers. Busan, uh, located at the southern end of Korean Peninsula, is the country's second largest city, its largest port city, and home to the world's fifth largest port. With a thriving business scene, Busan ranked 36th on the GFCI last March. Going forward, it aims to be no less than a hub for global logistics shipping and digital finance. For investors, this means a diverse opportunities. Let's start with Busan's growth as a global logistics hub. 
Busan is now building what they call a tripod. It involves a new railway that will connect a new airport to nearby new port. The city will also build a logistics complex near the tripod area, plus roads, tunnels to make for efficient transport. All this will entail plenty of infrastructure, real estate, and logistics projects in the future. Projects that will need public as well as private capital. Banks and asset managers in Korea and abroad can invest through public-private partnership, for example. So Busan welcomes global partners. You can you can also find the opportunities in Busan's potential as a shipping hub, the world's top three eco-friendly shipbuilders, Hyundai Heavy Industries, Samsung Heavy Industries, and Daewoo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering are just a city or two away. With the changing environmental regulations in the maritime and shipbuilding industries, demand for eco-friendly ships will rise fast. For example, International Maritime Organization, IMO, that is responsible for regulating shipping, recommends that maritime industry reduce CO2 emissions by 40% by 2030 and 50% by 2050. For this to happen, we need greener ships. Clarkson research estimates that orders could grow two to threefold between 2020 and 2031. Currently, Korea's top three shipbuilders handle more than 70% of the world's new shipbuilding orders. They possess top LNG-related technologies, and they are also going beyond LNG to develop core technologies for greener ships, like ships that run with hydrogen and ammonia. For Busan, rising demand for greener vessels will make up for a robust shipping finance sector for at least the next decade. And with more than 90% of Korea shipping finance now led by policy finance institutions, the Korean government plans to support more private financing. Last but not least, Busan is working to be a leader in digital and sustainable finance. Their progress will generate innovative opportunities. In 2019, Busan was designated a blockchain regulation free zone. As a result, six blockchain based pilot projects are now underway in the city. The goal is to expand these, these projects to full fledged business. For example, one of them involves a real estate investment model using security token offerings or STO, which are only possible without blockchain regulations. If you could apply STO more broadly, like to infrastructure building or shipping financing, that would create digital finance opportunities for private capital and resources. Busan also aims to play a leading role in sustainable finance, as does the rest of Korea. In an effort to reduce carbon emissions, Korean government established Korean Carbon Exchange in 2015 called KCX. It is the world's second largest such exchange after European unions. Private and institutional investors will soon be able to invest in this market. More specific to Busan, as you know, ESG products are on the rise. Recently, the Korea Housing Finance Corporation, which is based in Busan, issued 1 billion euro worth of ESG bonds in Europe. In fact, a total of 50 billion US dollars in ESG bonds issued by Busan financial institutions are outstanding. And this amount is expected to keep growing. For foreign banks and asset managers, this is great opportunity to purchase foreign convertible currency ESG bonds. To close, I'd like to point out that Busan's ambitions extend beyond the city limits. As it strives to become a hub for global logistics, 
shipping and digital finance. Busan will work with nearby Ulsan city and the South Gyeongnam province to create the synergy of a mega city. Most importantly, Busan want to work and partner with you, investors at home and abroad, as a hub connecting the region and the world. Thank you for listening. And now I'd like to turn it over to Mike Warden, head of analysis at GN. For the past for the fact, we have all been waiting for the last, the latest GFCI story result. Mike, floor is yours. Well, thank you very much, and for your um, commentary on um, developments in Busan. Um, and those of you who are listening from other parts, uh, Busan Finance Center and colleagues are always willing to have a conversation with you uh, about opportunities um, for investment uh, in Busan. Um, well, good morning uh, from London. Good afternoon uh, in Busan. Uh, I'm Mike Wardle. I'm director of ZN and head of indices, and I'll be uh, presenting today the results of GFCI 30. Um, our work researching financial centers uh, through the GFCI, um, but also in the Global Green Finance Index and the Smart Centers Index, uh, is part of ZN's long finance program. Um, and through this program, we intend to make progress in answering uh, the central question underlying the long finance program is when would we know uh, the financial system is working. Turning to the GFCI, first of all, a brief word on the methodology we use. Um, the GFCI is a factor assessment index, um, which combines uh, quantitative data um, with um, survey data um, look by looking at the correlation between the two sets of data and combining them into a single index. Uh, the strength of this is we think that uh, we are able to capture um, over 140 different uh, quantitative measures which we build into the index, um, but we also take account of uh, the reputation of cities um, amongst finance professionals. Looking at the uh, GFCI world, um, in the first edition of the GFCI, published um, you know, in 2007 following the earlier work being done on developing the index, um, we listed 46 financial centers. Uh, we now include 116 centers uh, with the inclusion this time of Kigali and Lagos, uh, reflecting the continued development of the African economy and very good to see African centers uh, coming into the uh, family of global financial centers. Um, I mentioned that uh, part of the uh, data set on which this, the index is based um, is uh, a survey. Um, and this just shows you that, first of all, the range of industry sectors that are involved in responding uh, to the GFCI survey, a very broad range. And, and secondly, where those people are in the world, with the largest number um, of respondents coming from Asia Pacific. Um, and it is good that we have so much engagement across the world uh, with the index. So on to the, um, the main results. First of all, the top 20 centers. Uh, New York retains its top place in the index with London second. Um, but the interesting part from this slide for me is that um, all but two of the uh, leading centers fell in the GFCI ratings. Um, and I'll come on to uh, movement in the ratings more generally in the index uh, in a moment. Um, so apart from uh, Paris and Amsterdam, um, all the centers here at the top of the index um, you know, fell in the ratings. And there's a, a variety of changes, as you see, uh, in the rank, ranking places. And so what headlines uh, should we draw from the results? Um, first of all, that, as I mentioned, uh, London, New York, uh, New York and London retained first and second places. Um, Hong Kong and Singapore in third and fourth positions fell 25 points in the ratings. And overall, uh, the general ratings across the whole of the index, the average rating fell uh, 2%. We're still not back to the levels of ratings that we saw uh, in 2019. So the impact of the um, pandemic and continued uncertainty uh, in the world economy uh, is still being felt. Um, in terms of other results, um, there's been an interesting shift in that Asia-Pacific centers generally fell in the ratings in GFCI 30. There's a question about um, whether the economic benefits um, of the good performance of Asia-Pacific um, during the pandemic, perhaps are leveling off. Um, while North American centers performed well in GFCI 30, 
suggesting perhaps renewed optimism about the US and Canadian economies. We're not sure, of course, yet whether this is a continuing trend or whether this is um, a simple point in time uh, in GFCI 30, but we'll be watching that uh, carefully. And the other thing to mention is that uh, New York and London continue to perform very well, um, which suggests that they found the way to sustain business performance despite radical changes in working practices in 2020, um, with um, a very large number um, of people uh, working from home, working remotely, uh, but still managing to achieve very high performance. Looking at regional performance over time, we track the um, the rating of the top five centres in each region. Um, and what we see here is that, um, you know, as I've mentioned, there's a general falling off in terms of the ratings um, in the last couple of editions of the index. Um, although Eastern Europe and Central Asia um, has had a bounce back in GFCI 30. <clears throat> and looking at the uh, ratings of um, the, the top five centers in the index over time, uh, we see that they are um, coming together. Um, there is less difference now in the ratings uh, than there were uh, when we started this index. And that is a measure across all centers in the GFCI that ratings are generally becoming very competitive. Um, and quite often the difference between a ranking point uh, is only one rating point on a scale of a thousand. Um, and this is important that uh, we realize that um, you know, the, the, the particular rank that a centre achieves in a particular edition of the index is perhaps not as important as the uh, five-year trend. However, looking at the top five centres and their rank over time, um, you know, London and New York have been ranked first or second um, throughout the publication of the uh, GFCI, um, with Hong Kong and Singapore generally um, sharing third and fourth position. Um, although that changed a little bit uh, in recent editions. Um, <clears throat> however, San Francisco, who's new to the top five uh, in this edition, um, has, has had a much more volatile track um, over the uh, publication of the GFCI. Um, and this suggests that um, San Francisco's place in the top five may well not be secure uh, and could well uh, be overtaken by another center in future editions. I'm going to talk a bit about each region of the world um, because there were messages, I think, for um, centres in those regions. In Western Europe, London's still um, out in front um, with, you know, a, <clears throat> and it, it shows that there is a competition amongst other centres, um, but at the moment London is managing to maintain very clearly its lead. Um, Paris and Amsterdam did well in this edition of the index, rising in the ranks, uh, and the only centres to rise in the ranks amongst the top 20, as I mentioned. Uh, earlier. In Asia-Pacific, um, you will note that um, all the centres, leading centres in Asia-Pacific, fell in the ratings. Um, we'll be watching this position very carefully um, because the underlying strength of the Asia-Pacific economy uh, is still uh, clearly there um, and, and robust, um, but there's something uh, in the data in this time uh, which suggests that there's a, a slight levelling off. Um, I'm very pleased to um, say that Busan um, was one of the Asian Pacific leading Asian Pacific centers uh, who rose in the rankings in GFCI 30, up three places to 33rd, um, which is um, a very creditable performance. Turn to North America. I mentioned that North American centers uh, have generally done well in ranking, um, although the leading centers also fell in the ratings, um, but, but they just fell less than some other centers. Um, so the rank increases are you know, important um, and they cover both centers in uh, the US uh, and Canada. In the Middle East and Africa, Dubai and Abu Dhabi um, both improved their rank in the index um, and retained the leading places in uh, GFCI 30 in the region. Casablanca continues to lead in Africa, um, although we note that South African centers um, have had a bit of a bounce back from previous um, lower scores. Um, and as I mentioned, Kigali uh, and Lagos joined the index uh, for the first time. So we're seeing more African centers uh, taking a leading place. In Eastern Europe and Central Asia, Moscow uh, leads the table 
uh, in this region and rose seven places in the rankings. And generally, um, centers in this uh, region uh, performed well in this edition of the index um, after they dropped in the last couple of editions. So a bit of a bounce back uh, in terms of their performance. And finally, in Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, looking at the leading centers, Mexico City um, takes the leading place in the region. Um, island centers, um, both in the Caribbean and indeed uh, the offshore centers in Western Europe, um, have fallen back in GFCI 30. And again, we don't know whether that is a trend or whether that is uh, simply the impact of the effects of um, the extraordinary year we've had in 2020. Just briefly um, to say that one of the things we do in the GFCI is profile centers into uh, 16 different categories. Um, and the, these, first of all, cover the centers which uh, we rank as global. Um, they're global because we know from um, our research that they are very well connected with a large number, a wide range of other cities, and they have business connections um, across the world. Um, the next set of uh, centers we classify as international, they have um, still um, a range of um, connections with other people, uh, other centers in the world, uh, but fewer than those that we rank as global. And you'll see we also um, rank uh, centers as whether they are diversified or specialist. Um, what this means is that where a city is diversified, um, it has a wide range of strengths um, where it is specialist, um, it tends to have more of a niche profile. Um, and those on the left-hand side of this slide, uh, including Busan, um, are what we call you know, broad and deep. They have breadth uh, and depth uh, in their financial services. Uh, and finally, we have a group of centers which are more focused on their uh, local region in terms of their business activity. Um, and you know, this is a very valid um, approach for financial centers and still very, uh, and still very strong. Um, but it helps us to look at financial centers and helps financial centers look at where their market is, but also how they might want to develop that market in the future. <clears throat> Next, I'm going to talk a bit about industry, industry sectors. One of the analyses that we run in the index is to uh, run the index model just taking account of the uh, survey responses from people working in particular industry sectors. Uh, and this gives a, a different uh, range of uh, rankings uh, to the index. Um, the leading centers generally are strong across all sectors. And you'll see that New York uh, in particular uh, comes out top in almost all areas. Um, but it's very, it's notable, I think, that um, in insurance, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Shanghai <coughs> are seen to lead uh, New York. Uh, with Beijing again coming over London, uh, suggests that people in insurance are particularly um, you know, particularly value the contribution which um, Asia Pacific centers and Chinese centers in particular are making uh, in the field of insurance. We've also published in recent editions of the GFCI a fintech rating. This is based on a separate uh, question in the uh, <coughs> survey which asks people to um, comment on uh, centers uh, as places to do fintech business. Um, in this ranking, um, Asia Pacific centers, Chinese centers in particular, uh, outperform their overall ranking in the GFCI, suggesting that they continue uh, to have you know, real strength in fintech uh, and in technology development. Um, and you'll see that Busan here um, is 22nd on this measure, uh, whereas it's 33rd uh, in the overall GFCI. So there's something here about the strength of uh, Asia-Pacific centers um, in, in fintech uh, and outperforming uh, generally their place in the overall GFCI index. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly about uh, reputational advantage before handing over to um, Michael Manelli. Um, so first of all, we, what, we, what we look at is the, um, the assessment that people receive in the survey uh, compared with the overall rating uh, that's given uh, in the GFCI once we combine that survey data um, with the quantitative measures. Um, and those centers with a reputational advantage, in our view, um, you know, are probably uh, marketing themselves uh, very successfully. Uh, they have a high reputation um, and you know, maybe need to do more work 
in addressing some of the underlying um, strengths of their financial centre ecosystem. At the other end of the table um, are centres where um, their reputation is not as good, in our view, as the quantitative data should suggest. And so places like Moscow and down to New Delhi are places where if people knew more about uh, the strengths of those centres, uh, they may well rate them higher. Um, and this is a useful uh, analysis for centres to understand uh, the, the, uh, where they should put their effort, whether into developing um, themselves and their financial centre ecosystem, or whether they need um, to market themselves perhaps a bit more successfully. So they're the overall results of GSCI 30. I'm going to hand over now uh, to Professor Michael Manelli um, for some other observations. Uh, Michael, for some reason we can't hear you. I'm very sorry. Oh, um, oh my apologies, Mike. Um, yes, we had a local mute. Um, well, firstly, I'm delighted to be back here and uh, and to make a few observations. Which I hope we'll put a little bit of color on to the, uh, the the results that we've seen so far. Um, this next slide shows the various areas of competitiveness, and it's really just a reminder uh, to all of you of the breadth of what we are trying to measure. Uh, we certainly get a number of comments and questions where people are in a particular industry, say, uh, for example, a small area of asset finance, and they've done something really well in their center, but it's subsumed in the overall results. Uh, the second thing is that the index does combine, as we know, perceptions and hard data, and therefore there can be a fair amount of people adjusting over time. I mean, certainly one of the things we've seen in Europe recently has been a readjustment in post-Brexit perceptions. In, in other words, the continental centers had done perhaps a little bit better over the last few years, uh, given the uncertainty about London, the things have become more certain, they've come back a little bit. So those are the sorts of things that we typically see. Uh, but anyway, as we move along, you can then have a quick look here, for example, at areas of competitiveness in the sub-indices. Now, these sub-indices, uh, therefore, are slightly more volatile than the overall index, but they do give you a show here of how people compete in a variety of different areas. And as we frequently say, to be a leading global financial center up in the top 10 or 20, uh, without question, it's uh, we invoke the Anna Karenina principle that you know, all happy families are alike and each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Basically meaning you've got to get a lot of things right, the environment, the people, their training, the infrastructure, the IT, uh, the, st the strength of the re regulatory system and, and good marketing, uh, as well as a decent uh, general environment. So there's a lot that's needed uh, to pull forward as a financial center. Uh, and if we have a look, therefore, at a couple, there's some interesting things in this uh, in this index. Uh, one is this: this looks at New York, and we're contrasting here in these spider diagrams, GFCI 24 versus GFCI 30. Uh, GFCI 30 is the dark red line. And we're looking here at rank. One of the difficulties in this index uh, for people interpreting it on the fly is they look specifically at their rank, which is fine, and it's a competitive environment, uh, but it's actually your rating that's driving things. So if your rating is stable, you haven't done anything wrong, but if your rank is falling whilst your rating is stable, that means other people are overtaking you. So in a competitive environment, you want to prove it's not us or, or the uh, 10,000 respondents or whatever putting you down. Uh, but you'll see here that New York's uh, rank has actually improved even better here in the very areas of competitiveness, uh, putting it very solidly up there at number one. Uh, there was a six, six editions ago, uh, there was some uh, consideration that the human capital and the infrastructure were slightly weak, slightly. And now, if we look at the, at the industry sectors, though, at the same time, uh, New York has been picked off, so to speak, in the insurance area where it slipped quite a bit. And we've seen Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, and Shanghai move forward. This, of course, shows uh, yet again the, the rise of Asia, but the, per, uh, the, the permeation of that insurance barrier. Uh, interesting to us here in London has been the long-running saga that Lloyd's did quite well 
in penetrating the U.S. markets uh, some decades ago, but uh, has made very little inroads into Asia and has lost uh, quite a bit of its South American business over the years. So what we're seeing here is, uh, again, the, the rise of Asia, but now uh, hitting very much at New York's uh, sector there, whilst it remains extremely strong, even stronger in banking, investment management, uh, and professional services. Uh, if we have another look at uh, some of these sensitivities here, uh, these are our dear friends in Canada. Uh, personally, I, I've always been surprised that Toronto doesn't get a slightly better rating than, than it achieves. Uh, it's noteworthy that it is the third largest financial centre in North America, uh, and the quite significant and very strong Canadian economy has, has done well. But you'll see here again, uh, a kind of a widening there in GFCI 30, indicating really a, a little bit loss. Again, I hasten to point out on rank uh, in a variety of areas other than reputation. And again, on the industry sectors, a, a loosening and loss of rank uh, really across the board. This is uh, again, an indication of a center that's very strong, doing very well, has a good reputation but again, is being overtaken by nimbler, younger, more eager competitors, again, uh, primarily in Asia, and to a lesser degree in the case of Toronto, uh, in the Middle East. And now we turn to our co-sponsors today, uh, the city of Busan, uh, extremely interesting, and I hasten to add, Busan had no idea of these results uh, before agreeing to do this. Uh, what we've seen here, though, is an enormous improvement over the last six, uh, sorry, the last five, six editions. Uh, you'll see here on the left, um, an enormous tightening in rank as Busan has been overtaking a number of other centers, uh, really again on all categories here, so not, not a lot to comment on. Uh, but on the right-hand side, you can see the industry sectors rank. And here, it's I, I find this amazing in a way, uh, because I'm conscious that over uh, really the last 10 years, uh, Busan has put uh, tremendous efforts into strengthening, strengthening its education sector, professional services, maritime law, attracting professionals to the area. And you can see this just enormous increase in perception of it on professional services. So really emerging as a strong area with a highly skilled workforce capable of delivering the financial services that are needed. I'm just going to close on one other uh, bit that we picked up uh, in the index. And this is about uh, attractiveness of places to work. Um, there are many indices that look at the quality of life and attractiveness, but we too ask questions aligned with that. And what you can see is that New York uh, is an extremely attractive place to work and gets the uh, the highest number uh, of reviews. Most of the other places there, it's, uh, it's personal taste, folks. I, I live in London and enjoy it, um, but there are many other lovely centers out there. Uh, but I have been to Busan, and honestly, I'm not surprised to see this high ranking right up there with Hong Kong and, and London. Um, and you see this jump, fairly significant jump below London to Beijing and then the rest of the centers. Uh, but Busan has done uh, an enormous amount of greening and uh, these lovely little oven-topped oven hills there, which you can see from everywhere in the city are, are great. Uh, the, the lifestyle has been uh, significantly enhanced with the development of the waterfront. Uh, tourism is very good, et cetera. So it's a really quite an attractive place uh, to work. And, um, just speaking candidly, I, I have a suspicion that uh, Busan's rise is hardly uh, is hardly halted. So we'll look forward in, in future editions, uh, wherever we're teaming with, uh, to see uh, the increasing importance of Busan. Mike, I think that's a, it, it by way of illustration and commentary. I think we've got a, a few questions. I would encourage people to put uh, questions in or comments or, or observations uh, into the GoToWebinar chat facility. Uh, but really, I'll hand back to you, Mike, to, to, for the Q&A. Well, uh, thank you very much, <coughs> Michael. Um, we've got a particular question on uh, elaborating why Zurich fell by 11 ranking places. Um, and you know, I, I can <coughs> maybe outside this meeting dig into the data and go back with a, a more detailed response. Um, but what we've seen um, in particular, I think, is um, you know, over the last few editions of the GSCI, um, is competition uh, between European centres, um, which has meant that quite there's been quite a lot of volatility and movement um, in, in in European centres. Um, we don't know, as I've mentioned a couple of times, whether this is a trend or whether this is a, a, a mark a, a point in time. 
and it could well be that Zurich bounces back in the next edition of the index. Um, but the other factor is the strength of North American centers. And so I think you'll find that um, Zurich and other European centers perhaps have been outperformed in this edition of the index uh, by North American centers, which has led to uh, a fall in the ranks. But um, please rest assured, I will um, come back to you, um, you know, with, with a bit more detail on that once I've had a chance uh, to look a bit further into the, into the, um, into the uh, data that underlies that. Uh, there's also a question uh, from Bob McDowell about um, you know, the Paris's rating. Um, and uh, again, the, the, I think this is to do with uh, you know, shifting competition uh, in the European uh, financial centres. Uh, Paris has uh, performed very well in previous editions of the index and is back performing very well in this edition of the index. Um, but there is still a lot of um, sorting out uh, in terms of the reputations and the um, underlying business of European centres post-Brexit. Um, and we've seen quite a lot of volatility uh, over the last few editions of the index, um, you know, with some centres um, rising and, and falling back again, some centres uh, maintaining their position. Um, so it really is um, to do with not just Brexit, as you say, um, but partly it is Brexit. And partly it is the uh, increased competition between centres uh, in Europe who are all um, competing for, this, for, for the, the same level of business. And I, I think, think also it probably represents, uh, so uh, Michael, you wanted to come in there. No, no, I was going to say, that, like, I mean, one of the things that's been interesting uh, and not a lot of analysis has been done is in the shifts around Europe, the size of firms that have moved um, and Paris has actually attracted a handful of firms, but they're very large. And I think this is seeping out in, into the network. So if, you, you know, if you're in Citigroup, you're, you're, you're very conscious that uh, there's been an enormous shift from London and that message is getting out there through, through that area, whereas the large numbers of firms have moved to other centers such as uh, Amsterdam, uh, Luxembourg, or, or medium center-sized firms to Dublin. So some of this is shifting out as people are beginning to understand uh, where the weight is falling. And I think Frankfurt sort of falls into that category as well. Thank you, Michael. Um, Keicho Otomo has asked um, about the respondents from Asia, noting that 69% of respondents from Asia and asking whether uh, we provide more breakdown. Um, I can say that there, that there are particular places where um the the promotion of the gfci and the interest in gfci is very high uh, including in korea uh, including uh, in china um and we would certainly say that uh, you know, a large number of respondents come from both china and korea um but also um from india um so they're the main places where uh, asian respondents um reside and work um, and just to say that we we do do of course do some analysis behind the scenes um, to understand uh, whether there is um, any uh, disproportionate impact of of these things, um, and so we are you know, very very certain um, that the fact that there is um, you know sixty nine percent of response from Asia is not actually skewing the data. Um, Another question from Andreas Lennart is um, how we view Tokyo's position in the rankings. Uh, Tokyo um, has slipped a little bit, um, but is, has been firmly uh, in the top 10 um, for quite a while. Um, and again, when I'm talking to financial centers, I often say that you don't focus on the particular rank uh, in a particular edition of the index. Um, what matters is you know, whether you're in the range that is appropriate uh, to your development as a financial center. Um, so I think in Tokyo there'll be um, some concern that, that there's been a drop this time, but remembering that Asia-Pacific centers in general have fallen back in the rankings. Um, and you know, the underlying strength of the Asian economies, uh, I think, will you know, is robust and will show in future editions of the index. But it also shows how much competition there is. Um, and looking at the leading Asia-Pacific centers, you know, whether it's Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, Tokyo, all looking for um, you know, business, all looking for a competitive advantage, um, and the rise of Asia-Pacific um, over the last uh, 20 years uh, has been uh, quite marked. 
Uh, Michael, I don't know whether you had any other comment on um, you know, on the Asia Pacific, um, you know, rise and positioning. Yes, uh, I mean we're getting into a level of subtlety. I feel like we're kind of commenting on a golf game, but uh, it is worth it is worth just considering. Uh, so Tokyo um, uh, changed in rank. It felt it felt two places from from seventh to ninth, uh, and the rating drop though sounds terrible. It dropped thirty. Uh, but Shenzhen dropped 32, and the bulk of the Chinese uh, and uh, Asian centers dropped between about 25 and 30 as well. So it's not a particularly unusual drop uh, in, in that perception around the area. Uh, the, the exception here is really uh, Korea, where uh, Busan uh, drops two on the rating, um, and Seoul uh, drops 11, which is high-ish, but, um, but again, low in Asia Pacific in this edition. So Korea holding up quite well, uh, with another interesting exception, I think, in China, uh, which is uh, Chengdu, uh, which again only drops eight points. So what we're seeing here is a kind of a wood for the trees element of the larger established centers. Uh, I wouldn't focus on uh, seeing the sorry the up and coming smaller centers uh, like like Chengdu uh, starting to move ahead. But at the end, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a bit like you know comparing New York with uh, with I don't know St. Louis or something. These smaller centers are highly volatile, and a larger center uh, like Tokyo is far less volatile and far less volatile over time, uh, as Mike you showed in that chart of the top five centers over time, and they're all beginning to track each other. I guess for me, um, one of the one of the strange things is the slow emergence of specialization. One would think that these centers would begin to specialize, but the, the integration with the domestic economies are still quite strong, and we don't see quite the international specialization that we saw perhaps 30 years ago. Um, I, I referred earlier to London's in the, in London, the insurance market, but one could equally pick um, Luxembourg in asset management. Uh, one could pick Zurich and Geneva in commodities. Uh, Asia is still trying to settle out as to who's going to be the lead in any spot, or they're going to keep a uh, a pan-national lead, but not a pan-Asia lead. Thank you very much. Um, yes, Naomi Takagoshi has um, asked about the about our, our strength, the strength of the North American economy due to the optimistic uh, economic outlook and the decline of Asia to leveling off of the good economy. Um, and I, I think the, the point to make here is that um, the, the leveling off point may not be to do with um, absolute economic um, data. Uh, it's as much to do with sentiment and um, what people think is going on at the moment in terms of the strength uh, of centers. Um, and so it, it, we're always in this position where we publish indices at this time of managing um you know historic data because all uh, quantitative data we use is historic um once it's released um and the, one of the reasons we use um, alongside the quantitative measures the uh, perceptions of people completing uh, a survey um is that does take into account people's sentiment about how things are moving more in real time or indeed looking slightly uh, to the future um, and so we'll be watching very carefully whether, as I said, this um, is a trend which continues uh, or whether this is um, you know, a, a one-off state of um, state in GFCI 30 and there was a kind of a, a bounce back um, for Asia Pacific uh, as real real time, as real data uh, comes in about the performance of the economy. Um, another question from Akika Mokawa. How do you utilize an index such as the climate change performance index when the index is countrywide and not based on cities? That's a very good question. A lot of the quantitative data that we use um, is necessarily based on um, country data rather than city data um, because that's the form in which the data is published. Wherever we can, we try to use uh, city data, um, but there are uh, many uh, indices or, or many, many areas where city data is simply not available. Um, so what we do is we assign the country uh, score in that data series to each city um, in, in that country. Um, it, it may not be perfect, but we think it is the best uh, use of the data that we can manage, uh, given what we have available. As I say, when we can find city data, um, we always use that rather than country data um, because it is 
um, you know, the, the, the best um, we, we can use for this particular index. And I think yeah, I think there's a you know an interesting problem um, that we've we've experienced over the years is again people uh, attributing too much weight to very short-term movements and. Uh, Mike has given his uh, sleight of hand uh, <laughs> kind of rule of thumb remarks. Um, I, I personally believe that you shouldn't do anything substantially different except watch for anything less than sort of a 20 point rating movement on a scale which is a thousand. Uh, at 20 then you, you need to wake up and pay attention and it's one of the reasons we like to publish the index every six months. Um, an annualized index wouldn't give us quite the indicative sensitivity but the indices and the ratings, the performance, the economic stats all come in at different times uh, and an annual rating would, 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 would result in even larger movements that people would, in my opinion, pay too much attention to. So um, I think that's important. Um, I think Kenneth Long has asked a question, how many indicators are at city level versus country level um, for the USA? Mike, do you want to take, take that? Um, and and <laughs> I, I don't have the exact number on the top, on the top of my head, um, but the point is it's not just for the US that all, all the indicators are either at country level or at city level um, for all for, for the whole index. Um, and the, the majority of indicators, I can say, are at country level because that's the uh, level of data published particularly by um, organizations in such as the World Bank where we take a number of measures. Um, but um, so, so the minority are at city level, but they are at city level for all cities. And unless we can find um, you know, reasonable global coverage in an index, we wouldn't use it. Um, so we want a consistent measure um, across the world uh, rather than looking at measures in the USA or in uh, another part of the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I just hasten to add, folks, you can, uh, if you get the full report, all of the indices are at the back. You can see what's used. Um, all of the indices, uh, we provide hyperlinks to the relevant websites where you can get the source information. Um, the indices that we use over time clearly change. Some come in, some go out. Uh, green performance is a, is a rising area. Uh, some of the old payment processing stuff seems to be fading away, but uh, you can get hold of everything in the report that's online. Uh, which leads to an interesting point here from Keiichi Aritomo. Uh, asking us, ease of doing business is significantly criticized lately. Is this ranking still used for GFCI scoring? Uh, and the short answer is yes. Uh, Mike, Mike pointed out uh, quite a few. Uh, World Bank is a good source of statistics, the OECD. Uh, we, we, we use a variety of sources. Um, ease of doing business has come under uh, criticism uh, because of people uh, supposedly gaming it uh, and, and really trying hard. In some ways, though, uh, this, if I must say, uh, goes back to the opening uh, remarks uh, that, that we had um, from Busan. And really, as you're looking here, and I think this is the, the point uh, very much that was being made uh, by our colleague uh, there, uh, Dr. Hinam Choi, when he pointed out that indices uh, really uh, inspire people to change. Otherwise, there's kind of little point in doing them. And, and so, a lot of the, the criticism of the ease of doing business has been the rapidity with which certain countries, in this case, have had units assigned really to get them to go up the, the rating. But they have also uh, created real and positive change in many cases. So it's it's not a bad thing that it, that people are trying to get ahead of the index. Um, arguably, that's what they really want. Um, I might also point out, as, as we have a, a very engaged audience here today, Mike, uh, we really, really welcome suggestions for uh, new index inclusion. Um, and so Mike's outlined what we're looking for, international coverage, ideally uh, city level, but we will take country if that's all that, all that we can get. Um, and I always look at this as hypothesis testing. So if you have an hypothesis that, for example, what, what makes a center uh, great is the color of its logo, and there's a logo index uh, that gives us the colors of cities, we'll run the correlations and see if it if it, if it has an effect on it. Uh, and over the years, we have had a couple like that. One, one was the murder rate, which people pointed out uh, was really quite important. Uh, and another one that we looked at was uh, days of precipitation as a surrogate for good weather. That turned out not to have uh, much effect at all, but we are very open to ideas. It's a global international look at what makes these things work. And so all ideas are welcome. 
I think the only thing I'd add is that in the full report, you'll see that we uh, list the top 30 indicators that are most closely correlated uh, with the GFCI results, and indeed the most the top 30 that are most closely correlated with the fintech rating results, um, which gives you an indication of which um, uh, which of the quantitative measures uh, seem to be most closely aligned with um, performance as uh, a financial centre. Um, so do look up the full report; uh, it's available. Uh, it should be available online now. Um, if you go to the uh, ZN website, uh, you should be able to find links to the Global Financial Centers Index and the report should be uh, up and published online. Um, and you can dig into some of that data um, it, you know, as, much as, as much as you like. Um, now, do, do keep questions coming. Um, at the moment, we don't have any uh, waiting answer. Um, and I'll give a, few, a couple of minutes. Um, if we don't have more questions, then obviously we're uh, happy to close um, and leave you to go about the rest of your day, the rest of your evening, if you're uh, here from Asia. Asia. I think we, Michael, I think we might have exhausted um, the audience's uh, curiosity for the moment. Um, but of course, we'll um, you know, welcome any engagement at any time. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to digest. And again, I really encourage you to, uh, if you're deep into this sector, uh, please please read the report and get back to us. Um, our emails are available in it. We'd be delighted to engage in chat. But I too would like to thank the audience. Very engaged today. Much appreciated. And so, just by closing, um, the next edition of the Global Financial Centers Index is due in March uh, 2022. Um, please do uh, take the Global Financial Centers survey um, and um, encourage um, all those who you know working in financial uh, in the financial system uh, to take the survey as well. We uh, really are interested in the views of people uh, out there working in in the sector. Um, so thank you very much to our colleagues in Busan for their support uh, for this uh, this launch, um, and to Dr. Gino Hoy for uh, his uh, remarks uh, at the beginning. As Michael mentioned earlier on, there will be a recording of the event available online uh, within about uh, a couple of working days. Um, so if you want to go back and revisit or share that with colleagues, uh, that will be available. Um, and thank you very much for your attention. Uh, have a very good day, a very good evening and we'll see you at another occasion uh, very soon. Thank you very much.